Thanks for checking in on this podcast. You are about to hear an inspirational teaching from Caris Ministries. If God has used this ministry to bless you in any way, please take a moment and write to us at amenatcaris.org. We are always inspired and blessed to hear how God is blessing people all over the world through what he is doing here at Caris. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at caris.org so we can continue making podcasts such as this available free of charge. Read that last question. I'm quite interested in that question. It's interesting. Please. On the tattoo. Yes. Yeah. Please, could we have some clarification on what the Bible teaches about tattoos? Because some people are using Revelations 19... 13 to 16 to suggest Jesus had a tattoo and therefore the Bible endorses it. Alright, Revelation chapter 19 verse 13 says that he was clothed with a white robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Talking about Jesus, verse 14 says that and the armies in heaven clothed with fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Verse 15 now out of his mouth goes a sharp, a sharp sword, goes a sharp sword, that with it he shall strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the, and the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Then the, 16, the verse 16 says that, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. That's all. So he said, okay, see, Jesus himself has tattoo. So it's good to have tattoo. Tattoo is not anything spiritual. So if this this is all the scripture you can stand on to say tattoo is necessary, then I think the the scriptures say by the mouth of two or three witnesses. You need another witness to. Now, so what do we say about tattoo? The Bible has not said much about tattoo. And so I don't think I've got much to say about that. <laughs> Do you need it? It's up to you. It's not my skin, it's your skin. <laughs> Is it decent? Check all the decent people that we know in our times, where they go, what they do. Just check. If you see it around President Bush, Obama, Prime Minister on his face, his, his neck, then maybe it's, it's, it's acceptable in a society. But if it's not acceptable in a city, if you're going for a job interview and you have all these tattoos around here in a city, it's likely that they may have a, an opinion about you which may not be healthy. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is that sometimes we just have to be reasonable to fit in the society we live in. In Saudi Arabia, they wear magzi, the men. In UK, our men don't wear magzi. I think it's just, you have to just maintain a good testimony. Okay, I don't have a tattoo. Some of you have got it. It doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you sinful. If you can clean it and you want to find if you can't clean it, you, go, you got it. No one got it for you. So just keep it like that until Jesus comes. It does not have anything to do with your Christian work. It's not got anything to do. So let's not find some ways of trying to justify, okay, Bible says, for what? What are we looking for? You understand that? If you want that to go for it, make sure that it helps you in your life. But I can't tell you because you have tattoo, you are not a Christian. That's so, that's so pediatric and trivial. And yeah, because you got tattoo, you are not a Christian. Because you got green hair, you are not a Christian. What's all that exterior coming from? Christianity has got nothing to do with that. 
It has everything to do with faith in your heart. Someone may have tattoo all over, and yet it's faith. It's alive. And you don't have any tattoo. Your skin is as clean as a baby, and you are as unbelieving as uh, anything. So it has not got anything to do with the exterior. All right? So did I answer that question? Let's go to the next. Question two. Where in the Bible did Jesus mention that he's going to die for mankind? I'm not sure who asked this question, but what came to my mind first when I read this question was I was thinking maybe the person meant the mankind. It's a bit, the person was focusing on mankind, either in a philosophical way. But if a person means mankind as humanity, or there are too many scriptures in the Bible that for someone to ask where did... Then later on, thinking about it, maybe the person, the question, read the question again, let's hear it. It's a Facebook question. Okay. And it says, where in the Bible did Jesus mention okay. that he so is going to die? Okay, so now the focus there possibly is Jesus saying, not the Bible saying, or someone saying, but Jesus mentioning that he's going to die. There are quite a few places. Now, if you want, if you, I initially thought where, where the person was trying to say that, where did Jesus say, or where does the Bible say Jesus died for mankind? Then that one, there's too many. For God so loved the world that he gave his only because, but it doesn't mean he died. For his, uh, Jesus came, he just came to die. All right, that's what the meaning. Or um, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which says that, for God demonstrated his love towards us in this way, that whilst we were yet sinners, Christ did what? Christ, Christ died. He died for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, it talks about how the gospel, this is the gospel, uh, for I deliver unto you first what was delivered, that Christ died for our sins according to the gospel. All right, so when you talk about Christ dying for humanity, substitutionary death, it's all over the scriptures in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament. But here, maybe the person is saying that, the question is saying, um, the focus of the question is, where in the Bible did Christ say? All right, so maybe Christ himself saying, where well, Jesus said, unless a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, he abides alone. And um, he said he was going to Jerusalem to go and die. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him in Matthew chapter 16. You know, Peter, Jesus said he's going to the Jerusalem. They will be, the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of people and they will crucify him. And Peter, the Bible said Peter started rebuking him in Matthew chapter 16 from verse 20 down was uh, 23 there somewhere. Jesus, Peter started rebuking him that he can't go and die. And Jesus said that get be behind me, Satan. All right. Now, here... The uh, Bible says that he said he was going and he will, he will be delivered unto death. But the, from the question, I'm, I'm not sure what the person meant. The, the person was trying to, it was a question trying to find out, is it Jesus really, where does the Bible say Jesus died for men? If that's it, then I've showed that. But if the person actually meant that, where in the Bible did Jesus say he was going to die? Then he said that a sort of corn of which falls to the ground and dies. So he was showing all. But if the question meant that where did Jesus himself? Mm-hmm. So sometimes the, the question may read that, but you need to be just uh, uh, a bit philosophical to not rush and answer the question. Maybe the strength of the question is not all the other things I've said, but Jesus himself saying I'm dying for mankind. Do, do you understand? Maybe that's the, the strength of the question. And um, Jesus... Jesus said that he's going to die for man- mankind. I think I wrote a few scriptures down. Yeah. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Let's look at it on the screen. It says that just as the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to serve and to give his life a, rams- a ransom for. Jesus is the one talking now. How many of you have got red letter, red letter edition? 
Is it in red? So that's Jesus talking. Okay. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus talking. The same thing. Mark 10, 45. Jesus said that the Son of Man came to give his life a, a, a ransom for many. So he's, all the fact that when he was saying that he came to die, he was going to die. That he said he came to die, he came to die. Now we are, we are seeing that he came to die, so he, so he will give his life as a ransom for many. So this answers the question, where did Jesus himself say This is why Jesus himself said it. Does that make sense? This one, Jesus himself said, his death is to give himself as a ransom for many. Right? And I think um, uh, the same thing, the ransom, ransom thing talks in first, second Timothy chapter, first Timothy chapter 2 verse 6 or so, it talks about the same thing. But he gave himself, first Timothy chapter 2 verse 4, it says, verse 5, let's go to verse 5. Says that, for there's, there's, there's one God, let's all read, I like this scripture so much, so much. Let's all read, let's go. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, the man Christ Jesus. Interesting. You see, the man Christ Jesus. He's Christ Jesus. He's there. Seated there by a still man. There's man in heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. I love that. He came, when he came, before he came, he was fully God. Not a part of, not, no man. But he had to bring God into man. And not just that, and took man into God. So at the moment, there is man seated among the triune God. There is man in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. That is why the Bible says that he's able to intercede on our behalf because he's been where we, he walked where I walked. He stood where I stood. I love to talk about these things. You know, there's a place in Hebrews, I think Hebrews chapter 2, where it talks about, in verse 17, he had to be made like his brethren, brothers, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be like us so that he can represent us. Hallelujah. Anyway, Amen. so he brought God into man mm. and then took man into God. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. We didn't finish reading. We just read 5. five. And then verse 6 says that, who, talking about Jesus Christ, who gave himself what? Ransom. For, ransom. So does this tie to Mark 10, 25? When he said the son of man came to give himself ransom, he didn't say he's coming to save. He's talking about how he died. Because what we read from 1 Timothy is, talk, is pointing to the fact that he is a mediator. And Hebrews shows how he became a mediator. By dying and going to heaven and then seated at the right hand of God for us. Okay? And so when he says that he gave himself to be ransom, for ransom, ransom, it's not like, okay, because I want to say, the ransom did not come to be saved, but he came to save. Alright, so that's why I gave it. So this, the ransom is talking about is just to say it's about service and he empties himself of all pride so he can just no. The gave himself ransom for all. He's talking about gave his life. He died. So that's why the, he, he died. There are other one or two other scriptures that we can show where Jesus himself said um, he came to die for all. But at least this should suffice because we have other ones to God. Does that make sense? Yes. If you have a question in, in relating to any of the things I said, just indicate by your hand and we will see if we will be able to take it. How come people who are not Christians, who do all the wrong things, tend to prosper more than the children of God? <laughs> That's an issue. Um, I stand to differ. There are so many people who are struggling more than you. But life 
men are in sizes and life is in faces. Okay. So today you may not be driving. It doesn't mean the unbeliever you know who is driving is better than you. Um, maybe when he started his job, you, had, you were still in secondary school. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't say that, okay, why is it that I'm a believer, I'm not married, and someone is an unbeliever, he's married. And so, it seems, this life is, that seems to be going on better than... You, you can't generally conclude that unbelievers live better lives so long as prosperity than believers. It's not true. Because there are believers who are fabulously wealthy and are doing well. At my stage, amongst my colleagues, because I've been serving God well, I am doing well. I don't, I don't, I don't struggle to find food to eat. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't struggle to find. There are people here who own their homes and they are over millions of unbelievers who don't even have money to pay their own rent. The government has to pay for them. So how then do you say that believers, unbelievers do better than believers? Mm. All right. Now, I know I understand this question. Sometimes it looks like unbelievers seem to prosper easily. Because sometimes their prosperity or what they are doing doesn't have boundaries. They can kill to get. But you can't kill to get. And so someone, your next door neighbor is doing drugs. And he's bought all these cars. And you're not doing drugs, and your old car keeps breaking down. Now you conclude that God is blessing or that they are prospering. No, that's not prosperity. That's not prosperity. All right. Or you can put it this way. Psalm 73 talks about how, uh, I think from verse 1, many people tend to think that believers struggle. But believers don't struggle. Just that it looks like there are more people, um, let me produce this, like more poor people in church than outside. It's because the Bible says that God uh, chooses the poor. To confine them. So some of us, if you too, maybe, if you had all the money, you wouldn't even come to Wednesday service. <laughs> yeah. Some people, if they, if, they, if they even buy a better car, if they begin to earn six-figure salary, they will be coming to church. That's why I thank God for those of you here. No, no, wait. I'll explain it. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because this is not a miracle service. Yeah. I had a meeting with a pastor friend, and I was telling him you should stay away, you should be careful, you stay away from, you know, as a man of God, let God use you to bless people, right. supernaturally break yokes, and supernatural power of God must be manifested through your life as a man of God. Mm. However, what keeps people going is the word of God you, you teach them. Right. And I told him, when we started in those days, sometimes a few of us said, okay, let's rise to pray. Oh, Lord! As soon as I lift, I raise my voice, then he starts, she starts. There are certain people whose speciality is just to gyrate. Yeah. Wow. And they think that's what makes them, watch this, what makes them spiritual. Yeah. All right? And so sometimes it makes them look spiritual. And then later today, no, I am not downplaying it because it, it, it's, it's good. God ministers to us differently. But there are certain people, you look at them, that's all. And then when, as soon as you begin to teach the word, they begin to sleep. <laughs> Those, they are not interested. They are not interested. Unless they don't hear their testimony, a miracle, they'll be going. All right. And so tonight's meeting is just teaching, and people like you have come. That tells me you are serious. Yeah. I think you should clap for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
So it's very important we, we should understand this, that uh, sometimes people have challenges. There are a lot of people who are running. You don't, watch this, you don't build a church based on just receive, 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 receive. In the name of Jesus, I cast out demons. Every church you go who are majoring on demons, I cast out demons, the deliverance, set you free. That's all they do. It's, it's not Christianity. Bible says that Paul took them and reasoned with them daily in the school of Tyrannus for two years, every day. And because of that, the word of God multiplied, grew, and all Asia, all Asia had the word. Praise the Lord. So the, the word is important, okay? But the, raw, the word without power, really, people are suffering. They also need some men. If, if you're struggling, things are not good, it's like, Every time you are coming to marry, you have a dream that something is chasing you, and then the, the, the woman leaves you or the man leaves you. Every time, and you can see that there's something spiritual. We need to pray and break that in. That's right. So there must be that dimension. All right. If you just can't wiggle yourself out of debt, and it looks like this thing has taken on a spiritual dimension, we need to deal with that spirit aspect out of it. But then if you still have about five credit cards, and you don't understand why that unbeliever who doesn't have a credit card working, saving, is doing well, and just you know something. When you go to work and they are interviewed, they don't ask you, do you cast out demons or do you believe? They just employ based on your deliverability, your ability to deliver. Many people have relinquished their ability to deliver and substituted it with the ability to fast and pray. And so because I fast and pray, God will supply my needs. How? I don't know how to do it. But see, that is why many people, that's why we have to be teaching. You know, for some time I've been talking about, how, why, why should you be thinking that you will be living in council flat the rest of your life? Mm. Do you understand that? There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. But where we are going, you must begin to say, no, it's not my portion. I'm coming out of this. I'm going to buy houses. Do you understand? So once you begin to think like that, begin to work towards it, you will see that the blessing of Abraham is finding expression in your life. Amen. But if you see one, you sit in one place, I'm praying, I'm tightening, and God will open the windows of heaven. <laughs> Something will happen. You are disturbing all of us, our prayers. <laughs> but Joe, didn't you come from work? What time did you leave the house? Half seven. And he hasn't been to the house. He's already here. When he finishes, and every day he's been going to work. No wonder at least he's able to afford a, a suit. <laughs> See? So instead of praying that God give me money, pray that God give me a job, one. Now give me a better job, two. Give me ideas to own my own company, right. three. Give me grace to expand my company. This is what we should be praying for. Yeah. Instead of praying that God give me money, give me money, give me money, I need money. Money does not respond to prayer. <laughs> so I stand to deliver unbelievers don't do better I know people I was with one great man of God last three days ago we said that we are we're having ch- chat he's wealthy he's wealthy and he's so clean he doesn't even understand why people still, should still even sin in church Christian is still sinning that's, I mean, that's how raw he is and the guy is blessed most of us are aware of Bishop David Oyedepo yeah, one, he has about four or three jets. Yes, he he's wealthy. He started from nowhere. God is a blesser. That's right. God is a blesser. And that's where I'm going. Amen. 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 Glory. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. 
I always say. It says Psalm 73 verse. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. Mm -hmm. They increase in riches. You see? Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. Oh! And washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. And saw the end of the unbelief. Then I understood their end. Did you see? <laughs> the Bible talk, said, don't envy anyone who increases wealth through unjust means. Never envy them. All right. So then, the fact that someone is increasing in wealth and doesn't have, have disregard to the law of God, doesn't uses all kinds of means to increase his wealth, does not mean he's better off. The future is not peace. He said, mark the righteous man, his end is peace. So, there's peace in righteousness. But the problem is that many charismatic believers, Pentecostal believers, have shaken and abdicated the responsibility of hard work to God. God, do it me, I'll pray, and God will bless me. Receive it, amen, receive it, amen. I'm going, I'll become a millionaire. And I'm wondering, how, how are you going to be a millionaire? Even let's assume you are not supposed to be staking Lotto. Let's assume for some reason they went to do it and then you get some billions or millions. It's not likely you'll be able to sustain the money. It will leave your hands. So life is in faces. Did I say that? And men are in sizes. Mm. Don't compare your size to someone else. Like um, my son Ebenezer just got married a year ago. And I was where he is now about nine years ago. I remember one day I went to one of my lectures about years ago. I went to her house. A very lovely woman of God. I visited her in the house. An elderly woman. She's lived in this country. She, I think, lived in years, was in education, top, top, top. And then after several years, left it and went to ministry full time and was teaching in Bible school. That's how I got to know her. It's a house she has just redone. Nice. The kitchen was state of the art. Lovely. The prayer room took me to the prayer. Lovely. Nice. And then I said, wow. You young man, you just started the journey. You are standing there thinking that oh, maybe, maybe I will. You, see, you see how life is? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't aim high. But don't compare yourself to people. Whether believers or unbelievers. Do not compare yourself to people. Run your own race. And fight your own fight. Because everyone, as a Philip comes. Because everyone has got his own front. Stand here and face there. I've taught you this before. Stand here and face there. Who is behind who? So long as I'm concerned, he's behind me. So long as he's concerned. Why? Because I've got my own front. He's got his own front. I can't be comparing myself to him. Stop comparing yourself to somebody because you bought your own track. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you. Amen. Unbelievers don't prosper more than believers. Mm. If we level the playing field and we all do the same thing, they are doing it without prayer. I'm doing it with prayer. I'll, I guarantee you, I'll go farther than them. Yes. Because there's God involved with what I'm doing. Hallelujah. That is why you have to secure God stronger. Because when God is on your side, no limits. Somebody shall no limits. No limits. Believe it. And work with God. Hallelujah. Wow. No unbeliever can have a better life than me. Never. Hallelujah. Never. No unbeliever. In material things, never. Just that I won't, I won't focus on material things. 
by material, in quality of life, in quality of health, in family life. Never! Never! I've never seen the righteous forsaken. No, it's fit to bear for bread. The devil is a liar. Hallelujah. All right, let's move on to the next question. Did the you vo- get that? The all voice right. of God. Hey, okay. God talks to us all the time, but the devil also talks to us. Mm-hmm. How can you tell when God is talking to you? And how can you tell when the devil is talking <laughs> to you? Like that's a, that's a kind of interesting question. When the devil is talking to you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but particularly when you are born again, you will know. In John chapter 10, verse 27, that's one scripture that I just, I just love. It, it, it hits the nail right on the head. Let's all read it together. Let's go. Amen. So when God is speaking to you, you will know. God will not come and speak Latin. When all the language, if all the language you, you understand is English. All right, that is on a broader note. However, anything, is that the, what does the question say? God talks to us all the time. God talks to us all the time. Uh-huh. But the devil also talks, talks to, to us. us all the time. So, so how can you tell when God is talking to you and how can you tell God's, when the devil God, is what, talking to you? God, everything God tells you is always in line with his word. Okay. Everything God tells you does not contradict what he has told you already. And everything God tells us is, um, is, is not against moral norms. Okay. God will not tell you to cut off your, your child's fingers. God will not tell you to take a cane and metal rods and be beating a little child. He said, the Lord was telling me, God, it's, it's immoral. God will never tell you that go and curse your mother or go and curse your father. God will not tell you to poison somebody. It's immoral. Everything God tells you to do is never immoral. Okay, so maybe, okay, how would I know God? Because it's the word does not say that. If it is not against morality and humanity, then it can't be against God. Okay, I I didn't say legal. Most things that are illegal are usually immoral. Most things, not all things. Not all things, especially in these our days. So the fact that the government can legalize something does not make it moral. The fact that police cannot arrest you based on what you have done does not make it moral. So something may be legit or legal, but it may be immoral. But you can't be arrested. You can't be arrested for the thoughts in your mind, the wicked thoughts that comes in your mind that you are thinking about someone. You can't be arrested for that. But God doesn't sanction that. Now, so all these things come from the devil. Is it, the easiest way to find out when the devil is talking is the devil does never say anything that endorses what God, has, God is saying. Sometimes he will say it looks like it, but at the base of it, if you, get, if you examine it very carefully, you can realize that, no, this is not of God. 
Now, how about situations like, okay, I'm thinking of going to Manchester. There's a conference, one in Manchester, one in Glasgow. But I'm not sure, God, which one should I go? How would you know God wants me to go to Glasgow? Or is the devil who is trying to make me to go? Why would the devil make you, to go, make you go to Glasgow? All right. And why would God make you, uh, or why would God want you to go to? So then, now, if you want to know what, what is in line with what God is telling you, God will let you know. If you are not hearing, watch this, this is very important. If you are not hearing anything from God, all right. I've seen two brothers. I want to marry. He looks cool. He looks hot. And both of them, you know, they are cool. But now, I'm, I'm, both of them are ready to marry next month. And they want me. Now, what am I going to do? How would I know which one? Just pray about it. Pray about Pastor, I've been praying, but I'm not glad that you are not praying properly. Because effective prayer always changes us. When you pray, God speaks to you. But how would I know God? This, this is the one God is saying I should. First of all, as you begin to pray, Follow your heart, okay? And things will begin to pan out because all of them seem to be okay. Sometimes God, if you don't hear God or your heart beginning to tell you that, I feel uncomfortable about this. Sometimes one of the ways to find out God is not behind something is the more you pray about it, the more you have this discomfort. The more I pray about it, I feel like, no, there's something wrong. I just, or the more I pray about it, I get excited about it. Anytime I don't pray and I listen to some of these friends or some people, I feel I don't want to do it. But the more I want, it's like God is telling you to sow a seed. I don't know how many of you. When God tells you to do something or bless someone, yeah. that, that, that new shoe you have bought waiting for Christmas, or that, hey, God said, I'll give it to someone. <laughs> when God is saying give it to someone, sometimes you don't want to hear it. You think, this is not from God. But the more you pray, the more you get convinced. And the less you pray and the, the less you look at other things, the less you feel like, oh. But the more you pray, so it's easy. Some of these things, deep inside you, is called the witness of the Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, okay? So you have the witness of the Spirit. Now, when the devil is also at play, you feel uncomfortable about some of the things. This guy wants to marry you, but any time you talk to him, you feel something. You don't know. You can't place your finger on it, but you, you, you don't know what. Something is wrong. Pray more, and the more you pray. Besides all that, also use your H-E-A-D. Use that big thing between your two ears. God gave it to us so that we can just, we don't always have to struggle. For instance, you want to go to Elephant and Castle, and you have to be there in 10 10 minutes. And you know, bus um, 171, that way, isn't it? Bus 172, this way. But this one is shorter than that, and you are sure, okay, which one should I... how much time have you got? Ten minutes. So then why do you want God to lead you? Use your head. Unless, of course, as you use your head, you begin to have a check in your spirit. This looks reasonable, but I feel in my spirit that shouldn't be the run. Then you have to pray about it and be sensitive to what your spirit is telling you. So what I tell people is that use your head and don't ignore your spirit. So use your head to make your decisions. Like you, a university or a course you want to embark on, a house you want to rent or you want to buy. You're not sure which one to do. And how would you know that this house may break down later? Use your head. Let the surveyors do all the job. All right? But after everything has been done, all things look equal. Don't ignore your spirit. So just use your head to make your decision and always be praying. If you are not, it's just like Sadnav, when you're on the motorway, if you have to turn left, it will tell you that use the exit. If he has not said anything, why do you have to still point? 
Should I keep going straight? No, keep, use your head. Keep going. <laughs> if, you are, if you are on the wrong track, it will tell you. Signals will be given to you. Especially if you want to hear, hear from God and you want to work with God. Listen to this. God actually wants to speak to us more than we want to hear him because he is a speaking God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Does that answer the question? Yeah. I've thought on these things a few times, so I think let's, let's, let's leave that. I, the bigger questions, you haven't even got into it. <laughs> when you pray for someone who is mm-hmm. sick and they get healed yeah. through, your, through, through your praying for them, <laughs> are you allowed to be happy that God is using you? <laughs> can, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> He said, are you allowed to be happy? <laughs> ah, what should even make you happier? <laughs> what should even make you happier? That God is using you, you shouldn't be happy that God is using me. Unless maybe there's another tone of pride and it's not actually happiness, it's just trying pomposity. Someone said, I think humility is the only virtue that you lose in the very moment you think you have it. <laughs> oh, God is using me. Who doesn't like it? You are a Christian and you don't even desire that God will use you. You have a problem. Your heaven's reward will be majorly undermined and at stake. A Christian. And your prayer will not be, God, use me. God, use me. Oh, God, use me. I want to do anything. If you can do anything, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Oh, God. You'll be crying, God, use me. That is one of my biggest prayers. I always pray that when I got born again. The biggest thing, if God asked me, that David, ask me anything I'll give you. The only thing, God, I want you to use me. That should be your overriding. And so then, if that prayer is answered, what if I were you, man? I will be excited out of, my, out of this world. That would be the greatest point of excitement than me too. So if God is using you, why, don't you, why shouldn't you rejoice? And g- g- once God used me to pray for you and you get healed, you think I'll be happy. I'll go and look for other people more. Because now I see the thing is working. <laughs> the thing is working. All right, there's nothing wrong to be happy about God using you or God using you. If you can tell other people, not, not to boast, but tell them, God did this through me. It's God. Oh. Hey, me too. I was telling my friend two days ago, a few days ago, uh, when Mandela died and people were texting me, I couldn't be bothered. I wasn't surprised anyway, but then I was telling my friend that I said it in church about two weeks ago that a prominent figure was about to, global figure was about to uh, pass away and all that. And now the people were sending me texts, but I said, at least I thank God because it's, at least it has boosted my credibility. (laughs) Many, many people don't say it. I won't behave as if I'm not, ah, it makes me feel good. Ah, At least God, I heard you right. You didn't realize last Sunday, after saying that, on the back of that, I began to say what God is telling me is about to happen. It just gives me more confidence to know that this thing, God, I've seen it several times, but this one is very fresh. So the fresh one is better. (laughs) There's nothing wrong. And out all that, I still know that it's God's prerogative and glory goes to Jesus. Let's look at the next question. Why is the Bible the word of God? Hmm. And not some other book. That's a very important question. That's the main question of today. And the second one, the other one about Jesus. Is it narrow-mindedness for Christians to 
say that Jesus is the only way. That's what our world does. Now, how can you think that Jesus is the only way? Mm. Why, why should you think that? John chapter, say, we'll come back to the Bible question. I hope I will. John chapter 14, verse 6. This is a scripture that every believer, serious believer, must know. Let's all say, let's all read it together. Some of you are not reading. Let's go. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. One more time, please. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. All right. Now, Jesus said this. Now, is it not narrow-mindedness the world say for Christians to say? And actually, it's very inflammatory for Christians to claim that Jesus is the only way. Any other way is wrong. It leads to hell. Narrow-mindedness. Now, why do they say that? Because usually they say all religions are equal. And watch this. I'm going to teach something. Anyone who says that all religions are the same is just displaying his gross ignorance. It is um, logically absurd to say all religions are the same. Think about it. Islam says Allah is one and his prophet is Muhammad. That's his last and main major only prophet. That's what they say. The word of God teaches us that Jesus is the son of God. He died to save us from our sins. And anyone who doesn't come through Jesus can't go to God. How can both be true? <laughs> Think about that. How can both be true? One must be wrong. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Well, one must be wrong. One must definitely be wrong. I am facing, I'm standing on the road, and I'm facing north. And someone is also facing south. And we are told there's a car coming, and it's heading south. And you say, no, that car is not coming south. It's heading north. Okay, oh, he said the car is going north, and I said the car is going south, heading south. Both of us can be right. Both of us can, both of us can be right. One will be, def, must definitely be wrong. That is what is called the truth. The truth is one, it's absolute. The truth cannot be relative. They say it's based on how you are looking at it. Oh, give me a break. Black is black. If you can't see it as black or white is white, if you are seeing red, maybe you are wearing a red goggles or something. But it's, it's so you are seeing it as red, but originally, intrinsically, what it is, is it's white. Do you understand? So the point I'm trying to make is all religions cannot be true. Hello? Hi. And then, um, secondly, there are so many ways to God, as they ignorantly say. There are so many ways to God. And then they ignorantly add, Jesus is one of the ways. Have you heard that before? Yeah. 
So there are so many ways to God. Jesus is a way, not the way. No, the problem that arises with that is what makes you think Jesus is a way? What makes you credit him with that virtue of being a way? Now, if you credit him with that virtue that he's a way and he is saying, I am the way, then either you are wrong or he is wrong. And if he is wrong, you can't claim to be, you can't claim that he is a way. You didn't get it? Now, Jesus said, I'm God. No, you are saying that no, he's one of the major leaders. Very, very genuine and very loyal and very authentic. Now, and he, this one we are saying is authentic, said, I'm God. Either he is not authentic at all, or he is. And if he is authentic, then he is God. So you either say he is God or he is not at all. You can't say he is not God, but he is authentic. Because authentic person can say something and you are saying it's wrong. If you are saying that Jesus is airway and what, whatever makes you think he's away, the values, the credit, the, the integrity that makes you think he's away, and he away is telling you that I am actually the way, no other way works, then you must believe him. Now, we don't say, it's not narrow-mindedness to say Jesus is away because he said it. We don't say it. He said it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he says, I am the life, he's talking about deity, the source. The life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that it's not narrow-mindedness. Why do you find it impossible that an intelligent person will believe that Jesus is the way? They assume it's not intelligence to believe that someone is the way. Because intelligence tells you there are so many other ways. So then, it can't be intelligent to assume one person is the way. But in their intelligence, they say, he is a way, he's not the way. Then, if you are saying that he is a way and he's not the way, and that a way is telling you that I am the way, then your argument or your logic is suffering intellectual hemophilia. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Does that make sense? It's interesting. Oh, man. The Bible. Why is the Bible the only book? Why the Bible, the, book, the word of God, and not another book? I, I, I can't, let me mention it to you because time is up. Let me mention, I think I can. I, oh, so why do Christians say that the Bible is the word of God? Mm. I have to write some things down here. Are you ready for that? Yes. Number one. Because the Bible actually claims that it is the word of God. <laughs> the Bible's own claims says that it is the word of God. The Bible claims that it, the word of God, the Bible is the word of God. Okay. Because of time. Number two. The perfect unity of the Bible. In other words, you know the number of the authors, how many authors wrote the Bible? 
About 40 authors, 40 different authors, okay, whose lifespan, the, who time of living span over 1,100, uh, I think 1,400, 1,400 years to 1,600 years. Mm. Right? It's a lot too. Mm. This, um, this, this um, century alone is one. And you're talking about 1,400 centuries. So you can, you're talking about, about a millennium ago mm. and more. Mm. So 1,400 1, years ago, somebody wrote something. Hmm. Wrote something. And then 30 years later or 200 years later, and somebody, another person else wrote something who never knew this one. They lived on different planet or different Different continent. They never met different, different people, different background. Fishermen wrote, physician wrote, generals wrote, prophets wrote, uh, quite different, different background. Poets wrote, singers wrote, different people with different backgrounds. People wrote from the palace. People wrote from the prison. People wrote from the backside of the desert. Different people wrote different things and all these things over 1,500 years, bringing them together. The people don't know it. Bringing them, and it says one thing, means one thing. It does not contradict. Ah! <laughs> 66 different books uh, 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 um, over a long period of time, over 40, three different continents and three different languages. And yet, it all agrees and speaks one language. Some of the writers, kings. We have two people, of, two of them were kings. Three of them were priests. A doctor, two fishermen, two shepherds, a, 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 a former Pharisee, a statesman, a tax collector, a, an army general, a military general, a scribe, a cup bearer. Uh, different people from different backgrounds. They all wrote... Can you imagine? Think about that. Someone begins to write something in Russia. Okay, wants to write something about religion in Russia. And another person is writing in China. Someone else is also writing in uh, Africa, Nigeria. Someone else is also writing from um, Peru or Southern America or Jamaica. They've never met each other. Different backgrounds, different educational background, training, sociological background. And yet, when they collect all these things, they all say, not the same thing, but they all don't come. They, they, it's like... Okay, let me, let me give you another illustration. Let's say we want to build a statue here of Mandela. And then they say, okay, um, bring some, carve some stones from Italy. Italy should carve stones... Bring some stone from big chunk of rock from Italy. Another person bring a rock from America. Another person bring a rock from Jamaica. Another person bring a rock from Nigeria. Another person bring a rock from uh, Brazil. Another person bring a rock from Russia. And then different, about 10 people bring, or 40 people bring different, different rock. And when they, uh, they all just brought the rock, drove it on big cars, brought it, we are coming to build a big, a big statue of Mandela. They bring it, all the rocks just fit. Without doing anything, they just fit. Exactly. And it builds the... This tells you there must be someone behind it. An architect who is showing them how to shape it. Uh-huh. And so the Bibles, as I said earlier on too, the, uh, the, 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 the perfect unity of the Bible points to the fact that, no, this is the word of God. Number three, quickly, the reliable uh, transmission of the 
scriptures. In other words, the scriptures has been transmitted from one generation to the other. And when you chance on one which was written about 500 years ago, and you compare it to some that was written just last month, there's no difference. Everything is the same. What, what, you understand what I mean? Yeah. What is saying? Because it's, it's, been, it's not been adulterated over the years because God guarded it. Yeah. Right. And then number, number four, the historical accuracy. Excavations keep finding out that, oh, that's it, it's true. People have said it long time. They said never existed. Then later on, later on, they found, oh! So more discoveries are being made, which the Bible has already said, which people are trying to doubt, but they can't find it out. So what I'm trying to say is, there is nothing said in the Bible which any, the best of historians can challenge it and say that it's not an accurate historical record. Everything, no one can prove or disprove the historicity of events in the scriptures. Every, every, almost every major religion says that Jesus Christ lived. Every religion points that Jesus lived. Because the history, history shows it. All the historical figures, like Pontius Pilate, you check in the scriptures, once upon a time, someone lived called Pontius Pilate. It's, 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 it's historical accuracy. It's unparalleled. So historicity tells you that this thing is not, is, is not adulterated. And then uh, oh, I like this one. Number five, the, the scientific accuracy. Scientific accuracy. You know that years ago, they, they used to believe that the earth was flat? They used to believe that the earth was flat. But the Bible has always said that God sits on the circle of the earth. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they, 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 they've always believed all kinds of things. After, in fact, years ago, they used to believe that a certain number of stars in the sky. I think 1,500 1, stars in the sky. They con- he was a scientist, concluded. Another person later on came to dispute, found out there even more than that. He also concluded about uh, 15,000 or something. He also concluded, counted all of them. Then till Galileo, till Galileo, Galileo uh, formed the telescope and realized that this, you can't number them. Bible has said a long time ago that you can't number. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been said already. You see, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how science keeps discovering that whatever the Bible said is true. There is, I hear there is one scientist, um, um, a French scientist called Herbert Spencer, who said that Everything in the world or everything in the universe fits into one of five categories. And this is scientific. He said everything in the universe fits into one of five categories. And these are the five categories. Time, force, action, space, matter. Now it seems I'm going a bit deeper than uh, can be appreciated. Five. Okay. <laughs> Time, force, action, space, matter. Five. He said, everything in the universe either fits into time, it must fit into space, or it must fit into uh, force, it must fit into action, or matter. Bible says, Genesis, who knows what Genesis 1 1 says? It, what, what is beginning? Time. In the beginning was, no, 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 was the word. In the beginning, God created. So, 
what in the beginning God, okay, force created action, created the heavens, space, and the earth matter. <laughs> so even the beginning of the Bible, the first statement tells everything. So you see, watch this. Our faith is not trying to catch up with science. That's right. Science is rather catching up with our faith. Yes. In other words, they keep discovering. Recently, I heard it was discovered, uh, uh, something was discovered in the Middle East about the um, Noah's Ark or something. They keep discovering. And when they discover and discover, in fact, years ago, some of you, how many of you have heard about Atlas? It was believed that the globe is held by one strong man called Atlas. Okay? So that's, that's the, the true belief they used to have. Atlas was holding the and the, our globe. And then, so then someone, so first the question was, so what is our globe hanging on? And then they said, Atlas. I can show you in the Bible where even the Bible says that the, the earth spins in Job 26 or so. The earth spins. Scientists didn't know that. They thought the earth is stationary and later on they found out. The Bible has said it already. Right? Now, Atlas. And so they said, so what is Atlas standing on to hold? And then Simon was, okay, standing on a big elephant. All right. Then it's okay. So what is the elephant standing on? Then they say, oh, a lot of snakes. So people keep, could they could it end? Meanwhile, the Bible has already said, later on they found out that the earth hangs in space. Bible has already said that. Right. Who hanged the earth in space? No. No. <laughs> God. So they should have gone to the scriptures. Yeah. They would have found out. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's a lot I can say about that. Let me quickly give you the last uh, few ones. Um, one, so I said, why, why is the Bible the word of God? Direct claims, it claims it's the word of God. Number two, the perfect unity of the Bible, in spite of the diversity, is very united. Number three, the reliable trans, uh, transmission of the scriptures. Number four, historical accuracy. Number five, scientific accuracy. Number six, fulfilled prophecies. Prophecies of the Bible keep, keep getting fulfilled. Prophecies. For prophecies to fulfill, prophecies are history written in advance. Mm. Prophecies, things that God said. All right. How can you stand here and predict that next hundred years, who the prime minister of the United Kingdom is going to be and his name and his height? Can you predict that? Predict that? No. But before Jesus was born, mm. yes! Mm. <laughs> he said, Nazareth, in Bethlehem, a virgin shall be with child. Predicted his birth, predicted where he will be born. He pre- pre- uh, by, by the scriptures predicted his death. He predicted his environment, how he will, how he will die. Mm. How he even say, "My father, my God, how have you forsaken me?" Mm. He predicted how there was darkness on the earth on the, in his death. He predicted how his friend betrayed him. The Bible predicted almost everything. Mm. It was predicted, and this says it fits perfectly in all these predictions. And you think it's probability or chance? No. <laughs> The prophecies of the scriptures are accurate. What is even happening in our world? Check the scriptures. You see that there are prophecies already. All the prophecies of the Bible, the fulfillment of its prophecies are outstanding. So the Bible must be true. It's the word of God. Hallelujah. I said it's the word of God. Hallelujah. I said it's the word of God. Yes. Now I'm preaching, you see. The third one, the lost testimony about it. Jesus himself said the Bible is the word of God. Number eight. 
the in, amazing indestructibility. People were just wanted to destroy the Bible years ago. They, have, they, they are dead. Their homes were used to print the Bibles. <laughs> and the, the, the ethical superiority of the Bible, all the moral codes of the Bible is superior. Mm. Certainly the Bible that tells you that don't kill your enemies. Don't go after them. Don't bomb them. I want the, the ethical morality of the Bible is superior to any other group. And then finally, the supernatural power of the Bible. It works. I said, there's power in the word of God. Yeah. There's power in the word of God. How many of you have read the Bible and you felt something was talking to you? Something. something you read it and something happened. You read it and you felt a man. So that's why the Bible is the word of God. Believe it. Read it. Pray it in and pass it on. God bless you. Did you get something Hallelujah. today? Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please visit caris.org or call us on 0207-740-9960. God bless you.